This is John Shannon for Radio Free Galisteo. Today we have an interview with Galisteo resident Lucy Lepard. Lucy is a writer, activist, and curator who first moved here in the mid-1980s. She's the author of 25 books, many concerning conceptual art, but two of that 25 are about the history of the Galisteo Basin. She has received numerous awards and accolades from literary critics and art associations, including a Guggenheim Fellowship, a National Endowment for the Arts grant, and the Distinguished Feminist Award from the College Art. Art Association. Here's Radio Free Galisteo's conversation with Lucy Lepard. Lucy, how would you define yourself? Are you a writer? Are you a, an activist? Are you a writer-activist? How do you define yourself? Well, I would say writer, activist, and sometime curator. And uh, th- then other people take it and then they say writer and author. What the hell the difference is, I don't know. But I don't <laughs> like being called a critic because uh, I've, I have written about art for 60 years or something, and uh, I'm an advocate and not an adversary of artists, so I, I don't like the word critic. I'm, I, I write about art. I'm an art writer, if people have to get that in. Writer, activist, and sometime curator. Yeah. Let's talk about writer first. <laughs> you are a Galisteo resident. How many books have you written here while you've been in Galisteo? I don't know, five or six. And I know for a fact that two of them are specifically about yeah. the, this basin, the Galisteo yeah. Basin. Yeah. The last one was Pueblo Chico. Yeah. Why don't you tell everybody about that briefly? Okay. Well, first I did Down Country, which was, I think, published in 2010. And that's about the archaeology and early Spanish history. So it, it goes from, I think I said, 1250 to 1782, which is when the Tano Southern Tewa Pueblo people left. And then after 1782, the the Pueblo Chico goes from since 1814 is what I say there because there was a gap in there where people were in the basin but not formally and the village was kind of maybe sort of formally uh, founded in in 1814. These books are incredibly detailed, incredibly detailed. And so what that says to me is you have a real love of where you are. Yes. What got you here? Well, actually, I, I came to New Mexico first in 1972, and uh, we, I came down, I was living with somebody who'd been here before and whose work, artist whose work sort of related to it, and we came down for the Shalico ceremony at, uh, at Zuni in the deep snow, and that was fantastic, and we went to Taos to Pueblo dances, and, and uh, I loved it, but I knew I couldn't make a living in New Mexico. <laughs> I mean, very few people do make a living in New Mexico. Uh, I couldn't make a living in New Mexico doing what I did because I had to be in New York to be on it. And uh, then eventually, and then in, um, I came to Galisteo first in 1980, January 85, I think. I kept coming to New Mexico off and on, but uh, we camped out in various, but we camped out in Chaco Canyon in December. It was so cold. My son said he would never go back to New Mexico, but he's changed his mind. Anyway, in, uh, in my father died in December 84, and I was with my mother for you know, three weeks or something, and, and then I had a gig down here, which was lucky, and so I escaped. And Judy Chicago is an old friend, and, and they were here, and they took me with Ramona Shoulder and uh, Patrick Mahaffey, who she was living with then, in the middle of the night up on the hogback to see Haley's Comet. So it was an auspicious first visit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so I always say it was feminists who brought me here because later Harmony Hound, who was an old friend in New York, and 
she was, I was hiking with some friends from Colorado on the southern Crestone, the hogback down there. And Harmony said, well, go by, when you go by this stone wool shed, take a look at it because I'm thinking of buying it. So I, we stopped and I walked around the village alone. I remember walking across the bridge, I talk about this, but the old bridge and to the other side and there weren't many fancy houses over here then and I remember thinking, I feel like I'm trespassing on somebody else's cultural territory. But I ended up by living on the wrong side of the bridge. So, <laughs> so uh, eventually I was visiting Harmony and this this strip was empty and it opened up. Somebody was they, the woman who owned it wanted to have Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist, oh, yeah. uh, have a retreat here on this strip. I mean, you know, pretty. And needless to say, he said no. He has has a perfectly nice place in France. And he was like, why would I want to be on an overgrazed pasture in New Mexico? And so that she cut it up into lots. And I saw that. And I, so I was alone. I built right here. And people said, why'd you build by the highway? I said because. I don't want to see what's built in front of me, and, mm -hmm. and so I look out on the rangeland, even though it's by the highway. I'm a New Yorker. I, a truck going by now and then really doesn't freak me out. So um, anyway, so uh, that was in. Uh, I bought it. My then my mother died, and I had some money for the first time in my life, and bought the land and built the house, and that was it. And I was alone on this trip for quite a long time, and. People would say, do you have a gun and a dog? And I go, no, but I have a little black cat, like a proper bruja. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's how I got to, <laughs> to get us there. You mentioned there were a number of feminists out here. Well, I, there is, there, were, is there something special about the place that attracts? Well, we always call it Galisteo. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah. And there were, uh, even when I was first here, there were several single you know, strong, independent, single women, Priscilla being one of them, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she was single by then. And for those of you who don't know, she's referring to Priscilla Hoback. Who is a well-known Santa Fe figure and potter and uh, writer. <laughs> yes, yes, also. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most strong, independent women are feminists. If they're not, they're idiots. <laughs> you heard it here, probably <laughs> yeah. not first, but... Uh, there it is, and and that that is certainly uh, Galisteo speak. <laughs> well, I have young women coming up to me and saying, "I don't really call myself a feminist, but I'm a strong woman and I stand up for myself." And I say, "Yeah, that's nice, but feminists stand up for all women, not just themselves." And so I, that's one of my definitions of feminism. It's a pretty significant distinction. Okay, so writer, tell us about your activism. Well, in. Uh, I was raised a, a good liberal and and uh, anti-racist because my grandfather was president of a black college in Mississippi and so forth. He was white, um, but I didn't really do anything activist until I the '60s, and I, I went to in '60 60, in '66 and '7. There was a lot of activity in the art world with friends of mine, and I I would go along, but I wasn't you know, a leader of any kind or really much of an activist. Then I was in Argentina for a gig. And uh, I always say that I sort of got the message when we went to visit with a group of artists who were working in Rosario with a striking workers situation. And the, I, I said, what about your art? And they said, well, we're, we don't think we should waste our time making art when the world is a mess. And that just really rang a bell with me. So, so uh, I started to... I went back to New York and fell into two or three different, the Art Workers Coalition, which we founded around January. 
69, and uh, in 68 I did a show with a guy from the Socialist Workers' Party of artists for mobilization for youth against the war in Vietnam, and of course the war was a huge thing, and uh, so that was where I got to be an activist, and I, then feminism hit, <laughs> hit the art world late, everything comes to the art world late, and uh, the Women in the Art Workers Coalition started to not separate off, but do things on our own and so on, and pretty soon it was noticed that we had been doing a lot of the work and we weren't doing it for the Art Workers Coalition anymore, we were doing it for, well, that this group was called War, Women Artists in Revolution. And I wasn't into that yet. I, I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm one of the boys, I don't have to do with this. And uh, soon after, I, I became one of the girls. <laughs> um. Where did where did that lead you past past uh, you, you had the the Vietnam War as a focal point? What what was the the next? Well, the Vietnam War and racism and then feminism were sort of all rolled up in a ball because uh, once we started looking at who ran things and what was being done, then we our eyes were opened about a lot of stuff, and we, we and as artists we protested a lot of museums and so forth and. And uh, we broke into a trustees' dinner party in the Metropolitan and <laughs> various other things. Exciting times. Off and running. My nice liberal father was slightly horrified. Aside from that, I'm, I'm probably a little proud. <laughs> um, you've got this wonderful history, and now you see what's going on today with the the various movements. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, where well, where are we? Are we oh, worse okay. off? Are we better off? What's oh, going God, on? I think we're as badly off as I've lived through, but uh, who knows? I mean, I'm not really... When I, I wrote a book called The Lure of the Local, it, I finished it here when I moved here already, and, and I thought I should practice what I preach, so I sort of shifted my activism, my noisiest activism, to... Galisteo to working with the auxiliary in the fire department and the water board and started the newsletter 25 years ago and a monthly newsletter for just the community and uh, and I still go to demonstrations and yell and scream and sign things and so forth and write letters to the editor but I'm not a, an out there I used to start things <laughs> and uh, take them I've started co-founded several artist groups against U.S. intervention in Central America or um, started a bookstore, print, artist bookstore called Printed Matter and feminist collective called Heresies and uh, artist, activist artist group called Political Art Documentation Distribution and so forth anyway. So I, I promised myself when I moved to New Mexico I wasn't going to start anything. And I only started the newsletter. <laughs> Which uh, I, I know the community is very grateful for. Uh, it's uh, excellent local news. Well, it's something I can do that I'm good at. I mean, I, in the fire department, I was cleaning toilets and, you know, helping out with things like that. And I wasn't good at that at all. But I thought, like, one thing I can do is write and edit. So that seemed to be a sensible. That's something you, you're doing for this community. So after all these years here, why is it still worth it? I really enjoy it. I like to write. I mean, that's why I'm a writer. I, I love writing, and uh, it's a di totally different kind of writing, obviously. But I like it to, you know, come comes out better than a lot of community newsletters, I think. 
and uh, and I think people understand what my politics are now, so there is isn't any horror. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you think is the biggest change you've seen? Let, let's stick with Galisteo. Yeah. What's the biggest change that's happened here in Galisteo since the since the time you landed until now? What would Gentrification. Aha. Uh-huh. No question about it. Uh-huh. When I first came, the community meetings there'd be a little line of Anaya's shaking hands when you came in, just to make it clear whose place it was, which I totally agree with them. And then that faded and you know, there, now there are very few of the old local families are really involved in the community mm-hmm. activities because it's, it's, it's a whole different group of people. I mean, some of them are very nice, so it's not, but uh, it's a different place. Subsequently changed the character yeah. some. And it's of course much more expensive than it used to be, my God. Yeah, yes. I think we're having a, a, another inflow of new new yeah. people. I mean, and it seems to be uh, this post-pandemic reaction to living in a, an urban setting. People seem to yeah. want to be out here, certainly, uh, but other places like this. But specifically, Galisteo. Well, we haven't gotten a more population. We've just got a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny. There used to be a whole lot of Barbaras in town for some reason. Now there are a lot of Anns. Three Anns moved in all at once. Yeah. <laughs> it just took me months to get them straightened out and who lived where and what their names were yeah, and I, so forth. I have one across the street from me. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it, it has made a difference, and it's been built up more. I mean, like I said, I was alone on this strip. And now there are three more houses on this strip, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I knew they were coming. I mean, it was it was cut up into lots. So it's, uh, Would you say that uh, some of the initial movement in here came from the East Coast? Like some of the what? The initial movement of new, I, I, new folks. I don't know. I mean, Santa Fe. They say in Santa Fe that the, when the New Yorkers came way back, uh, they loved the old adobes and they sort of fit in as much as New Yorkers can fit in, mm. and. Uh, but then the Californians wanted to build big houses on the ridges and so forth and so on. So I, I've always taken that as <laughs> gospel truth since I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> when I was first here, a friend was, Japanese guy was coming to visit and he couldn't find my house and he stopped at somebody's house over there and, and asked if they knew me. And I was just first here and, and they said, oh, La Lucy, the New Yorker. <laughs> I thought, oh, I can't kick it. <laughs> Writer, activist, curator. Mm-hmm. Well, curating is just something I sort of fall into now and then when I'm asked. I have a show, I co-curated a show at Site Santa Fe this very moment. But um, it's I did a show, and, and when I f- was writing first, uh, critics or writers, we were called critics then, um, didn't didn't curate shows, or very rarely. There was there was one guy who, one or two guys who did, but... And then I curated a show called Eccentric Abstraction, which became a kind of iconic thing for some reason that uh, that sort of preceded feminism. There were several women in it, but I didn't know anything about feminism. So, but the work was sort of proto-feminist work. And then every now and then I'd get asked to do my did a, some traveling show for the Museum of Modern Art. And it's when I get asked to do something, I tend to do it, but I very rarely. Uh, initiate a show because it's not I like I'd rather write when it comes to uh, curating a show is a lot of work (laughs) and then in 2007 I was asked to do um, a show in Boulder where I'd I'd been teaching one semester for nine years at one point and, and just one seminar one semester and 
I, t I got Isabella Gonzalez, who lived two doors down in Peggy and Ed's house, and she was in the show as an artist, and she, I got her to help me with the email and all that. I didn't have email at that point, and I didn't. So I got her to help me with everything, and, and then when that was over, I said, it was a, sh a show on art and climate change in 2007. And uh, I said to her, oh, this is wonderful. You just keep doing my email and I'll pay you. And, and she said, you must be kidding. I'm going to be caught dead doing your email. And so I got email. <laughs> and now I'm in the process. Peggy's giving me her old smartphone. So I'm in the process of maybe getting it to work. <laughs> Big step. Big step. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm off the grid completely here. So I'm a, I'm a Luddite when it comes down to it. So. Well, I guess a Luddite, but uh, it seems like more and more people are coming back yeah. to that way of living. Well, I guess. I don't have a television. I don't have a washing machine. I don't have a dishwasher. And I've lived happily with or a microwave. I've lived happily without all those things, and I don't see any reason to get them. Of course, Jim has a, has a washing machine. So. What, what do you really think is the essence of this place? <laughs> I think there are a lot of essences. I mean, it's, this isn't, isn't my place. I mean, it's... A, there are layers of people who've lived here, starting out with the, the town of the Southern Tewa, going on to the early Hispano settlers who were brave souls because they were getting raided by the nomadic Indians and they settled on the hill up there. And uh, eventually things calmed down toward the late 19th century, mid to late, and Anglos started pouring in in the 1840s and 50s. And so they're, they're just, they're very different. But Galisteo, I think, is, has at times, and not always, been a, a pretty cohesive little community where, where people do get along. Not, not all the old families participate in the Anglo stuff, and not all the Anglos participate in any Hispano stuff, but, but there is, there's definitely, you know, we have friends on in, in the, across the board, across the cultural board, sort of. But there's always, you know, there's the, a lot of, I think, very justified resentment being is how mm -hmm. the Anglos who are coming in are, have gotten richer and richer. I mean, what would you say is your favorite thing about this place? <laughs> well, the community and the land. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean it's. I, when I first was here, I'd sit in my little window seat over here and I'd look out and I think, okay, I think I'll trespass over there today, <laughs> and just go under the barbed wire. All my clothes had nicks in them from going under barbed wire. <laughs> And uh, so I explored the whole area, and Harmony often went with me, and we hiked all the old Pueblo ruins, and and we we really learned the place, and just in time, in a sense, because after about ten years, the county demographics changed. There are more and more people out here in El Dorado, and so forth and so on, and and the ranchers got huffier and started shooting at people and arresting people, and so it was kind of iffier to be just trotting across the landscape wherever the hell you wanted to. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, the Holloway's dog was shot years ago and, and uh, because we used to hike on the ranch, I mean, you know, the San Cristobal, but some cowboy shot the dog because he said it was chasing stock and it was chasing an antelope, wasn't chasing stock, but but that was a tragedy. And so we, we, people pulled back, who, I mean, Antonio Chavez still can ride everywhere, I think, because he knows everybody. But, but, uh, and I, I would had ridden, worked in a stable, and broken and trained jumpers when I was a teenager in Virginia. For a while, we, we lived there for a while, and so I came out here, and the Holloways had a horse, and I thought, 
I patted it, and, and they finally they noticed me patting it. <laughs> they said, if you want to ride her, you can. She hasn't been ridden for years, and of course I hadn't ridden for years, and I made a very mature decision not to, to, to leap on this horse. <laughs> and and I, because I realized I couldn't go anywhere on the horse. I mean, you know, and I can crawl under barbed wire everywhere, but I couldn't. But when I started writing Down Country, the book, I, I and by that time I knew a lot of archaeologists and historians and stuff, and and I also didn't want to be arrested for trespassing while I was writing the book because it wouldn't, wouldn't be good for the book. So. Well, that combination of maybe uh, your uh, writing and activism, you could say you were... <laughs> well, action anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Activism, but... Uh, You've walked over all over around here. You've been on Pueblo Blanco and and uh, obviously just, just based on down country and very deep <laughs> investigation of, of the, the people, the culture, but also the art that was created here. I haven't ever written much about the art that's created here. What, what I'm referring to, I think, is... I mean, the, the, the petroglyphs, yes. You know, well, yeah, the petroglyphs, the, the, the pottery mm-hmm. that you found out there. How did that speak to you? Well, pottery is not my thing. I, I, I like looking at it, but I know nothing about mm-hmm. it. To be a real archaeologist, you have to get involved in this terrific ceramic analysis stuff, and I was not, not there. Uh, but the rock art, I started when I was living in Colorado for five months a year, and we, we hiked in Four Corners and, and uh, Canyonlands, and, and I saw rock art for the first time, which mm. I'd never seen before. And I was asked to write a little text for a book on, by a pho- photographer from CU, and Polly Shaftsma had written another part of it, and I'd, so I started hearing more about her. She's the... She lives in, over in Cerritos, and, uh, or near Cerritos, Lone Butte. And she's the one who really brought rock art to the attention of archaeologists. They hated it because they couldn't date it. And, they, you know, and she really just brought rock art into the canon, sort of. And she's still around and a good friend. And so I learned a lot from her. And one thing I learned, I used to say, what's this? What does that mean? What does that mean? And she'd go, nobody knows, or I don't know, or... Or it could be this, and so I learned how to respect the Pueblo people who made it and who may not want me to know what it's about. So. Mm-hmm. Of, of all the rock art that you, you've seen here in the basin, what do you feel is the... Oh, it's just endless. I mean, I don't have any favorites. It's, uh, what I love about rock art, and which is so unlike art world land art, which stands up in the landscape and sort of occupies, dominates the landscape and so forth, Rock art, you, you're out walking and you just you have a sense there might be something on that face over there and you go over there and there's nothing there but for some reason there's something on a boulder below it and, and so forth. I mean, it's hidden and it's, it's uh, in the landscape and it's part of the landscape mm-hmm. and that's, that's really what I love about it. And you, you have the sense of discovery is the wrong word but you have a sense of excitement when you find something and, and, uh, and it, it is all over the place in the Galisteo yeah. Basin. It's amazing. I mean, the hogbacks down there, both hogbacks have, but the southern one is probably, and then San Cristobal, which we used to be able to just walk in there and look at the rock art, which, and the Pueblo people don't like the word rock art. They, they don't like it to be called art because it, for them it's either functional or ceremonial or right. whatever, and it, it, they don't want to be drug into this Western notion of making art, you know. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As an aside, as you describe that, we were, my son and I were out on Denise's uh, land out mm. there, and he had 
the exact experience you described. He, he, he looked up at this little hillside and he said, I think there's something up there. I have to go. Yeah, yeah. And he went up and sure as, you know, and I was like, okay, kid, go yeah. ahead, you know, whatever. Yeah. And he got up there yeah. and he, he found a, a, a number of uh, petroglyphs, I guess. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, you know, he said, hey, dad. Yeah. And I came up and I was like, oh my gosh. And we went back and told Denise about it. And she said, where was that? And I said, well, it's just, just right across from the clay mine up. Yeah. She's I've never seen those. <laughs> so we, we, felt, we felt pretty good about it. No, I mean, you, that's what happens. I mean, you know, I know people who, rock art people who've been out there for you know, decades and we'll be hiking and we'll find something. Yeah. You know? it, it's a special moment, certainly, yeah, when that yeah. happens. No, it's, it's very, very exciting. What's next for you? Well, I'm 84, so who knows? <laughs> but, uh, um, I'm trying to finish some. Uh, people keep asking me to do a memoir, and that interests me not at all. And uh, but I thought I might do something with all the stuff around the house, because I've got each thing has a sort of a story to it, like that mudhead, Hopi mudhead up there that I got on first Mesa when I was just wandering around New Mexico. And then it has a down, the down feather that's hanging off it is something Phil Tuolas Tua gave me, who was Hopi, uh, gave me when Down Country came out because he thought it was good. And he, this was a little ceremonial thing for my only Hopi, Kachina, so that was nice. And so forth. Anyway, they all have stories. Uh, every, all the mess around here has stories. Mm. And I gave, when I left New York, I've never bought art because I never could afford it, but people, friends gave me stuff and, and uh, I gave it all to the museum when I moved down here. And everything, all the stuff in here, the tchotchkes and the art, have come since then. <laughs> Each of these things have sort of a little story. Or, mm -hmm. Like there's a Mona Lisa button there. And that was when the Mona Lisa came to the Metropolitan Museum. My then husband and I and a neighbor, lived, we, Bob and I lived under a button, a political button factory. And it, so on a loft in the Bowery. And it was bang, bang, bang all the time. So we thought, well, we might as well make something out of this. So we, we got them to make us a Mona Lisa at the Met button, and we sold them outside the Met. <laughs> Good thinking. Yeah. And so forth. <laughs> and photographs of my grandchildren, of course, and mm -hmm, so forth. Mm -hmm. And who's this? Oh, this is Tanita. She's named after the Tanos in the Galisteo Pueblo. Um, and she's, I've only had her for a little over a month, and she's a cattle dog. They're, they're, the Australians invented these dogs in the 1830s by breeding a Merle Collie, I think Merle is the color she is, and dingoes. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a wild dog. <laughs> Well, and uh, and, and she's from the shelter, and she's nine years old, and she's got a hell of a lot of energy. Yeah. And and she's out there with you on your climbing under the barbed wire yeah, now, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except my knees are shot, so we're not doing as much as she'd like. But about thirty years ago, I got more interested in land than in art, mm -hmm. I mean, land use, and by humans. I mean, you know, cultural use of land and lovely nature and so forth and so on, but I don't really write about just straight nature because I don't know enough about it. But but uh, it, I increasingly got, I wrote a book in 1983 called Overlay, which was about, I'd lived in England for a year in, in, in Devon, right near the, the Dartmoor and their incredible old megalithic monuments from 2000 BC and so forth. And I fell for those and realized that they had a lot in common with contemporary sculpture and so I 
wrote a book about that, and that sort of opened up all kinds of, that I didn't always have to write about art, that I could write about whatever and bring art into it. There were always artists who are interested in what I'm interested in and so forth, but I, I didn't have to just talk about a little more red in the upper left-hand corner of a painting anymore. I could get out. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to add? I know what I, I could I tell you about is that I have a, two things coming out that... Um, when I graduated from college, I thought I was going to write fiction. Mm. And I wrote a lot of sarcastic love stories and sent them around to magazines and got not a single bite. And in the meantime, I was working at the Museum of Modern Art Library, and I fell into the art world and was living with an artist, and one thing led to another. And I've, I've never really had any regrets about that, because writing about art, I could always find whatever I'm interested in. There are always artists who are interested in that, too, and so I can write about it with the artists and that, that work. Everything I know about art, I learned from artists, from living with artists and so forth. At one point, I was very involved in conceptual art in the 60s and early till, till feminism took over. I, I went to, to, I lived in Spain for a few months with my very young son and wrote a novel that was very unreadable and experimental and very influenced by conceptual art. And it was, that was in 1970, and uh, eventually it was published by a feminist press, and I rewrote it when I got back to New York and became a feminist and <laughs> put, suck feminist things in. And uh, anyway, that, uh, to my great surprise, has been published in Spanish and is being republished now. And then I wrote a lot of little, odd little experimental fictions. They're being published with the things that the serious things I wrote when I was in high school and college mm. and then then before I got in fell and pray to the art stuff and, and uh, so that's all coming out in another little book so that that's very nice sometime this year it's called brimstone can we revisit when that actually is is released but that might mean you have to read it which is not easy <laughs> oh, I I know how to read. I know. <laughs> Not this stuff. I mean, people just say, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, like, like. What are your final thoughts? Well, I can just say that, I mean, you know, I've never had a moment of regret that I moved to Galisteo. And my son saw a picture of this house, which was a 20 by 16 little box, and there were no trees. I did all this stuff. And in a mud pile, sort of. And he said, my God, Mom, you traded a loft in New York for this. <laughs> and then he came down, and he got it. And, yeah. So, and I love fitting. I, I would just like to sort of disappear from the art I came down to get away from the art world and I used to say I came down to get away from artists and my artist friends were like oh. <laughs> so so I said no the art world I came down to get away from mm-hmm. but, uh, don't you find that odd that um, you came here to get away from the art world and we've had Agnes Martin live in this village George O'Keefe's been in this village well, George O'Keefe may have come through or something well Woody claims she lived here so <laughs> <laughs> Agnes was here. I saw Agnes a little. I knew her in New York. I saw her a little bit when I first came. Mm-hmm. I stayed with Harmony for a couple of years before I bought anything. Harmony's here. Yeah. To get away from the art world, and here it is anyway. Well, there are a lot of artists here, but that's not the art world. Like, <laughs> I have nothing against artists. It's just the art world, the commercializing aspect of the art world, and the, and the planned obsolescence and a whole lot of stuff. But it's, I, it's been good to me. I've made a living. People come up to me, kids come up, graduate students come up, and they say, you know, how can I be a cultural critic like you? And I go, well, you keep your standard of living extremely low, and you can do what you want. I mean, that's not what they want to hear. Yeah, I, I'm, I bet not. Yeah. No, yeah. this is uh, I'm very happy in Galisteo, and I hope I leave feet first. 
You've been listening to Galisteo resident Lucy Lepard on Radio Free Galisteo. Don't forget to support Radio Free Galisteo by going to our Patreon support button on the website and clicking through. For Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon.